the Higgledy Piggledy History Hodgepodge with Alex Diamond and Dave Crowley. Hello and welcome to the Higgledy Piggledy History Hodgepodge, the podcast where we look back at significant events of our past and generally agree it was probably preferable to living in the era of Coldplay. I'm Dave Rattlehead Crowley, amateur history nerd, and with me as ever is decorated Call of Duty squad leader and enthusiastic fish tank cleaner, Alex Darth Diamond. Hello there, Dave. How are you, pal? All right? Yes, I'm well. How are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad at all. And this episode is all about this. Finally, this froggy steps up, shouts, Vive la France, and leaps out. Then an Englishman. He steps up, shouts, God save the Queen, and he leaps out. But the plane is still too heavy. So the Yank delegate from Texas, he steps up, shouts, Remember the Alamo! And jokes out the Mexican! (laughs) (laughs) And the the sorely missed Brian Glover there in the wonderful American werewolf in London telling a lame joke about this week's subject, the Alamo. And we're asking the question, the Alamo, turning point for Texas or Hollywood horse feathers? Darth, to a lot of people familiar with the story only from the epic John Wayne film, The Alamo is just a straight fight between all-American heroes and dastardly Mexican villains, but that's not really the case. This was a major battle in a much wider conflict. Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, I I haven't seen the John Wayne epic. I've seen clips of it, but I hear it's a complete disaster, Uh, historically. Yeah, it does. I I could quote directly from Wikipedia. Um, Alamo historian Timothy Toji said, there is not a single scene in the Alamo which corresponds to a historically verifiable incident. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Not a documentary. No, not quite. Um, But yes, I mean, it's... It's certainly a battle uh, in a wider conflict, really. Yeah, and and we can draw its significance from that. Um, uh, really, to understand the Alamo, you need a bit of background on what was going on in that part of the world, what, what is today Texas uh, in mm. the United States, in North America, um, a- around the time that the battle took place uh, in 1836. Really, at the, at the beginning of the 19th century, uh, certainly in terms of you know landmass, the big player in North America is uh, the Spanish Empire. New Spain, as it was called, covered a huge area in North America, including what is today Mexico, all the Central American countries, uh, several Car- Caribbean islands, notably Cuba, of course, uh, and actually quite a lot of what is today the continental United States. Um, much more than than what the British had in 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 you know in the thirteen colonies. Um, yeah. Of course, by this time they were newly independent from British rule. Yeah. But really, uh, it wasn't going that well for Spain um, in in the early nineteenth century after the French Revolution and the really destructive wars that followed in Europe. Spain is sort of plunged into a massive crisis. Uh, it, it had already been a bit of a sick man in Europe, really, and had lost a lot of its former power. But Napoleon's invasion of Spain and, and the Peninsular War really tears the country apart, and and, the, and then it loses its grip, really, on, on its vast overseas empire. And this, coupled with the new ideas from the Enlightenment, again linked to the French Revolution, leads to a load of Spanish-American wars of independence. And actually, by 1833... Spain had lost virtually all its empire in the Americas. 
and Mexico won its independence from Spain in 1821, and and Texas was part of that Mexico, which uh, eventually forms itself into into a federal republic. And really, the, the the problem, how we get to the actual Battle of the Alamo, is that in 1835, Mexico's sort of liberal federal constitution is repealed and replaced with a very sort of centralist, unitary, more conservative constitution, which took power away from, you know, Mexico's individual states, concentrating it in the center. Hmm. And... Uh, the the Mexican general Santa Anna, who we'll talk about a bit later, he was the sort of president of the new this new regime, and a, a lot of the Mexican states were sort of provoked into uprising and rebellion against this this power grab from the center, and uh, Texas was was one of those states, and they were the only one actually that was successful in breaking away from Mexico, uh, in in an event that's known as the Texas Revolution. We consider the Battle of the Alamo part of the, the the revolution, or is this a post-revolutionary event? I'd say it's definitely part of it. Yeah. So in 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 late eighteen thirty five, uh, the Texians, as they were called then, basically kicked out the sort of Mexican government forces. You know, they drove them out of Texas and they installed garrisons of their own in these uh, important strategic locations. One of which was the Alamo. Uh, what, what's interesting about Texas, actually, quite a fun thing, is uniquely for the Mexican states, they had a lot of Anglo-American settlers, right? So not just sort of Hispanic, Spanish-speaking settlers, yeah. but, but lots of, you know, Anglo-Americans. Uh, many of them had actually fought against Spain for Mexico in, in, in their war of independence. And these guys were particularly worried about this centralization because they feared that their sort of autonomy was being curtailed. Too many immigrants from the US. Well, that was it. Yeah. So, so the Mexican government was worried that, uh, ironically enough, uh, that they felt that too many, you know, uh, US Americans were entering Mexico illegally and not paying taxes. (laughs) Please, please tell me that Santa Ana declared (laughs) that he was going to build a wall and America was going to pay for it. He missed a trick there, didn't he? Because that's what he should have done. Yeah. (laughs) Who's going to pay for it? America. Yeah. I mean, it, it's this strange irony of history, but yeah, that, that that was one of the reasons, really, especially for Texas, you know, because a lot, of, as I say, a lot, of, um, a lot of Anglo-American settlers sort of moved there for a bit of freedom, basically, and and so the the Texians were supported by a lot of American vol- volunteers, and when I say American, I mean U.S. American, just for shorthand. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so yeah, they had kicked out the Mexicans, and it's you know. Uh, it it is in response to this that 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 uh, General Santana uh, gathers his art, his Mexican army and basically you know invades Texas to put down this what he sees as a rebellion. So then we turn to the actual um, Battle of the Alamo itself. Now we've got, as you said, uh, is this is it Santa Ana or Santana? We, we, you have to. Um... Yeah, honestly, my my Spanish pronunciation is probably terrible. Um, Santana, Santana. I honestly don't I don't know the the major distinction. The, 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 the trouble you see, Santana just conjures up images of guitarists for me. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Therefore, he'll be referred to as uh, Antonio. <laughs> um, and of course, on the American side. Um, one of the reasons, I guess, why the Alamo is is uh, 
so memorable for so many Americans. You've got some of their early heroes in uh, Jim Bowie and David Crockett. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'd say those two are the are the chief um, protagonists of this American story, or I suppose you know Texan or Texian story, as it as it more accurately should be portrayed. I mean, we could we could we could do a whole episode on David Crockett. I mean, he's uh, obviously um, uh, a, a massive figure in uh, in early uh, that that well that, that period of American history. Yeah, uh, doing some digging for this, I found that. Um, a lot of the ideas and concepts around him actually stem from a play of the 1830s called The Lion of the West. Oh, right. Which, although it didn't name him, apparently, it was clearly about him. And before that play, there was no mention of Crockett ever wearing a coonskin cap. And this was uh, in the, did you say the 1830s or the 19- 1830s? Well, so it was contemporary to, to yeah, the Alamo absolutely, then? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And uh, apparently what once... Uh, he became aware of it. He he did take to wearing a coonskin. <laughs> oh right, okay. <laughs> so he was he was certainly suggestible. Whereas Bowie, on the other hand, I think most people still know the name because of the knife that was named after him. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the the, the famous Bowie knife. So obviously, it's important that we also don't characterise the Alamo as a fight between you know good old American boys versus evil Mexicans which I think is what the film with John Wayne basically does and it's uh, yeah it's, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, I haven't seen it for a while I mean I, I it was um, as I said it, it is known for being very unrealistic at, at the time um, Wayne uh, himself I know a little bit about I mean he was rabidly anti-communist and uh, he, he saw the Alamo as, as, as very much an allegory for uh, for his fight as he felt it against communism. Mm. Uh, there's actually a speech that he inserted into the film where he talks about the glories of the Republic and how wonderful the Republic is and, and that sort of thing. And then he took the film on a, a very uh, ill-fated um, journey where they petitioned the um, the Academy to uh, vote it best picture, they used the um, the tagline "A vote for the Alamo is a vote for the USA." <laughs> and uh, in the early nineteen sixties, just after you've had the sort of the witch hunt through Hollywood, uh, this did not make a lot of members of the Academy happy, and it got nowhere near best picture. It did win a couple of Oscars, I believe, in sound editing. Right? Okay. Like, it, it it didn't. Uh, it didn't get the big prize, which uh, which Wayne was after. No. So yeah, I, I it does certainly um, portray it as um, good against evil, and mm. it's something that's been reinforced as well by uh, the American branch of Freemasonry. Okay, I know both, that Crockett was a Mason and Bowie. Okay, okay, I didn't they know that. Both they were both uh, they were both uh, Freemasons. The <laughs> battle itself begins with a siege. Yeah, that's right. So you've got. You know, you've got about um, really uh, uh, by the time that everything kicks off, by the time Santana's basically closed closed in on on the Alamo, which is a sort of semi fortified location with you know fa- uh, fairly decent walls uh, surrounding an internal complex. There's about two hundred Texians, uh, plenty of volunteers there, but also regulars in the Texian army, led by Lieutenant Colonel William Travis. Who's probably the sort of you know like like the third guy on the Apollo mission that went to the moon? Everyone remembers Crockett and Bowie. Uh, they probably don't remember Travis, who actually did a good job 
um, and, and was in charge of the Texian army. Not as popular, I think, as the other two. But I mean, but, a, you know, Bowie was ill for free, most of it. He lay. And he lay another Freemason. Oh, was he? Yes, he was. Yeah. I did not know that as well. Blimey. Yeah. So he. So all three of them are there with about two hundred men, and the Mexican army's probably uh, initially about one thousand five hundred strong. Uh, and they and they dig in for the siege. Um, I think the Texans, when they saw that you know the odds stacked against them were so bad, they they tried to ask for an honourable surrender. But when the Mexicans said that you must unconditionally surrender, they rejected it and said, "No, no, we'll we'll stick it out." Then in that case, and and it, you know, for, from the twenty third of February, uh, eighteen thirty six, when when the siege begins, for the next ten days, basically, not not a great deal happens. They the, the Mexicans subject the Alamo to bombardment from their art- artillery, and there are a few skirmishes, you know, with, with min- minimal casualties. The, the the Texians fire back as well, I should say. They haven't got as much artillery, and they need to conserve ammo. Uh, and actually, there are reports that they used Mexican cannonballs that have been fired at them. And you know, pick them up, scraped your mates, you know, bit of brains <laughs> off it, and put it back in their own cannons and fired them back. So I've got this this vision in my head now. This like Takeshi's castle, <laughs> Bridgeball, yeah, with, yeah, with, with these rednecks waiting to catch the cannibal when they come over. Go, are you sure this is going to be all right? <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine, mate. Go on, no problem. Go on, yeah. just stand there. Keep stand your there. eye on the ball. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't take. That's the crucial thing. Don't take your eye off the ball. It could all go horribly wrong. Oh, yeah, bless him. <laughs> so. <laughs> So when the siege sets in, uh, immediately uh, uh, Jim Jim Bowie falls ill. Actually, does history record the reason that he was ill? The fact that he was eating all that Mexican food. It could have been a bit of yeah, <laughs> a bit of gas, perhaps, yeah. possibly, possibly. But ultimately, they're they're not really reinforced. Um, as I say, there's about two hundred men in total, and I think about a hundred of those are men who had answered the call. And had snuck into the Alamo, mm. uh, so you know they they doubled up, but that's not really much considering that the Mexicans were actually reinforced in the same time to about two thousand men. So it, ten to it one. Doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't say a great deal for the the, the Mexicans' uh, military ability that that men were able to. I mean, we're not talking about them laying siege to a walled city here with a river on one side. This is basically one building. And they couldn't prevent people from getting into it to reinforce. Yeah, it's yeah, that's a good point. They do manage to sneak some men in. Um, I think uh, Santana does try to create a perimeter, and he does have cavalry patrols, you know, going around to make sure people don't run away. Uh, but somehow, yeah, reinforcements do end up in you know entering the Alamo. And as you said, it is a pretty small location with only sort of a, a chapel and a barracks and a few other buildings. But I think I think Santana's probably aware of the situation and he's aware that time is on his side. He knows that the that the United States is not really going to get involved in a big way because that would be an act of war. Yeah. And and so, you know, that they're not going to do that. So I think he's probably happy to sort of wait it out, bombard them for a bit and see what happens. I mean, there's a few skirmishes on the way. There's actually this great moment where uh, a few hundred Mexican soldiers take over um, a few abandoned houses close to the Alamo walls to try and, you know, um, 
gain some ground, but a small mm-hmm. squad of Texians managed to venture out of the of the walls and set fire to these uh, places, um, <laughs> which I think is great. But it doesn't really result in any, you know, the the, the Mexicans retreat. I think there's about ten casualties um, after a small skirmish, you know, and then they pull back. I'm gonna I'm gonna chance my arm here and ask you something. Now it's gonna be clear to the listeners already that we're way out of our comfort zone here because we're not talking about medieval Britain. Um, but we, we were talking about the uh, the um, Texian army uh, stealing cannonballs and throwing them back. What were they generally armed with? Are we talking revolvers, rifles, harsh language? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> feather dusters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think. Well, it's the it's the age of muskets, really. Um, that's that's your main firearm. You know, the, the the soldiers, much like in in Europe at this time, you know, would would have had would have had uh, muskets. Um, so very, very slow to, to reload, you know, you've got to bite the bullet and all that, and then use the stick to, to ram it down the, the barrel. Um, uh, but then you would, you would have also had, um, bayonets on the end of those, uh, rifles, of course. Yeah. And, and then, and then you've got swords, um, or daggers, knives, uh, as we've, as we've spoken about, not much think- by way of armor, you know, they've got rid of all the medieval armor. I think just about my only chance of actually keeping up with you in a game of Call of Duty is if you are forced to use a musket <laughs> and, relo- and reload it between each shot while I run around with uh, with uh, an assault rifle. I may get close to you. Yeah, that, I mean, it, it's certainly a lot easier today to use guns, I think, than it was. Um, I mean, there's a. I, I remember there's a great advert that the Americans have. Uh, I'm getting political now about gun control. Uh, when when the founding fathers set up the rules about bearing arms, yeah, it would have been very difficult to go on a mass murdering spree with, <laughs> with you know some sort of muzzle loading <laughs> musket, yeah, you know, firing one round a minute or something like that. Uh, Man kills thirty with blunderbuss. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> uh, and indeed, you know, obviously, we, we, tech technology's come a long way since then. So the uh, after these uh, brief skirmishes and the siege. The final assault begins on the sixth of March. Yeah, that's right. Santana proposes this the day before the the the, the artillery bombardment ceases around ten p.m. on the on the fifth. Most of the Texian garrison then f- fall into much needed sleep, um, and very very early the next day, the Mexican troops begin their assault. They they manage to catch catch a few uh, Texian sentinels unawares along the way, and manage to get quite close, you know, within musket range of the Alamo walls. While the garrison's still basically waking up, go, what on earth is going on here? And um, luckily for the Texians, the Mexican numbers count for much less because of the way they're marching. They're marching in column, which basically means that only the guys at the front could actually fire their muskets safely. There's even accounts of uh, raw recruits behind the front line shooting their own friends and, you know, uh, f- fellow uh, in the back because they're not used to this sort of column and they, they don't really know what's going on. The, tex- the Texian artillery, it's, you know, fish in a barrel. You cannot miss, you know, you aim broadly in that huge mass of men, about 200 men or whatever, and and, and good luck. And, and indeed they do. And so 
that they're able to whittle down some of the numbers pretty easily. But, you know, well, their numbers are so and, great. Antonio's confident that, that this is essentially, without wishing to make him sound too callous, he can afford these losses because the, the disparity in numbers is so large. Of course, yeah, he's aware of that at least, yeah. And indeed, he's right that, you know, despite marching in column, which is a bit silly, they do reach the walls and they begin to inflict casualties on the Texians. And, and Travis himself, um, the commander, he's shot at this fairly early stage in the assault. He's shot on top of the walls while he's firing down on the Mexican troops. Um, uh, the, the, the Texians managed to beat back sort of the first two waves, the first two Mexican waves. Hey. Um, but but the, but the third one, the third Mexican you wave. No. You've been waiting all evening for that, haven't you? Come on, come <laughs> yeah. on, you have. I was up all night thinking about that joke. Um, but yes, the the third Mexican wave is successful, and they they take the walls and the, and they push they push the garrison back into the barracks uh, inside inside the complex for, for their last stand. And it's reported that at this point, uh, Bowie died. In bed. Yeah, so, well, actually, before that, uh, it's likely that Crockett died. So um, as these guys are fleeing from the walls into the buildings for their last stand, whether it's the barracks or what have you, uh, Crockett and his sort of volunteer contingent remain outside in the open, and they're the last ones, historians think, to fight in the open. And they're defending a low wall in front of the church where most of the civilians and non-combatants are hiding. And uh, they ran out of ammo or they're unable to reload. So that they end up using their rifles and bayonets basically as clubs and, and fighting with knives. And it's likely that Crockett dies at this point. Uh, the, 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 there, are, there are varying accounts about uh, a lot of these guys' deaths, actually. Um, but I think it's a likely possibility that he dies at this point. And at this point, then the Mexicans then take full control of the interior. That's right, with the they, exception of the church and yeah, the barracks. That's right, and it's and it's in the it's in the barracks buildings where where Bowie is uh, basically lying in bed or sitting up in bed with his back to the wall, very ill, having not really done much at all at this stage. Um, and again, varying accounts of his death, but I think. Uh, the most popular and perhaps the most accurate is that he dies sitting up in bed with his pistols and his famous knife, you know, sort of saying, come on, come at me uh, and going down in, in glory uh, that way. And uh, there was a few hundred Mexican casualties. Yep. Um, I'd say that the sort of the KD ratio, if you want to put it in Call of Duty terms, you know, all 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 two hundred Texian uh, troops w- were annihilated, and they possibly Mexican casualties about four hundred or, or, or six hundred. So you know, what what's that? That's either two to one or three to one. That's that's healthier than my kill. Kill death ratio certainly. Yeah, <laughs> it's not bad, but obviously you know they are they're the defenders in a siege. It's it's going to be hard to to uh, keep casualties down as the aggressor, especially when you're marching in column at artillery fire. Do you think Call of Duty might send us some free stuff for all this free publicity? I wonder. You know, we could yeah, once we've got the listeners. I think I'm sure we could do. Yeah, we could it could use be well that. in there. Yeah, smash it. I'll make a list of other things we can mention. <laughs> yeah. Probably, probably beer brands to start with. That'd probably be. Uh, there's a few beer brands I'd certainly like. To oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah, and whiskey. We'll work through it steadily. Anyway, 
so uh, it was a, a certainly a, a big win for uh, for the Mexican forces. Yeah, a big win. They've taken the strategic location uh, and they've really made an example, you know, uh, of of Texian resistance, which I think is what um, Santana wants to do, especially with his techno-prisoners approach. During the siege, Texas actually declares itself independent. It's on the, it's on the 2nd of March, so just a few days before these guys are wiped out. Um, the, the, the government, if you like, of, the, of Texas declares itself a republic independent from Mexico. Um, however, this, this defeat drives a lot of the Texians east. They sort of retreat eastwards towards the, the border with the United States. And the Mexican army, even you know, despite their losses at the Alamo, is still a, a, a pretty intimidating force. And, and they still heavily outnumber the, the Texian forces in the area. But they, uh, their, their complacency, their feeling that uh, they'd got things in hand, didn't account for the fact that uh, once news of the Alamo reached the uh, rest of the United States, that it had a galvanising effect on uh, the men folk there. I think that's absolutely right. Santana uh, thought that you know I will I will make an example of these guys. And then uh, everyone, you know, resistance will basically peter out, and 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 everyone will either run away or or surrender, um, in front of in front of my you know fairly brutal um, defeat of, of these guys. Uh, and you're sort of left thinking, when has that ever worked in history before? These sort of heavy-handed responses really rarely, you know, beat people into submission. No, they have the opposite effect. It galvanizes the Texians and indeed, as you said, uh, some American volunteers and, and they flock to join um, the, the main general, uh, Sam Houston, who gave his name to the city, I guess. Um, and it, Houston's army then decisively defeats Santana at the Battle of San Jacinto on the 21st of April. Um, so that's very little time between the the Alamo and that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It's less than two months, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that was essentially the end of Santa Ana. That was, yeah, that's right. And you know, you, you talk about the Alamo. Uh, to what extent? I mean, I suppose we'll get to the question. But th- this really was the, the big turning point. Um, San Jacinto is where Santana is actually captured, and is forced to sign a peace treaty uh, that allows him and his troops to leave uh, in peace but also essentially allows Texas to, to you know, declare itself independent. Uh, and this really forces Mexico to, at least for the time being, um, recognise them. So despite the fact that uh, the, the sort of US side of it lost the battle itself, they, they say that the galvanising effect it had on people meant that overall they won. I, I think that's absolutely fair, and there's a great historical analogy for this, which is the Battle of Thermopylae. If you're familiar with the 300 um, Spartans, better movie than the Alamo, I would. Think. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, they actually get a few things right historically in that as well. It's quite remarkable. Um, I mean, yeah, there's still a whole lot of problems with it. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah um, you know, there you have this sort of heroic defeat. You know, Greeks or Spartans against the Persians, they're facing, mm. you know, insurmountable odds. Yes, they lose, but it's it's done in a heroic manner and that galvanises the Greeks to come together 
and they obviously defeat the Persians uh, a bit later on, I think, in the following year uh, at the Battle of Pl- uh, Plataea. And so this is essentially the same sort of thing going on. They lose at the Alamo, but it's this great heroic last stand, and that galvanizes the Texians and Americans to come together, at, you know, less than two months later, and and they and they defeat Santana and they actually shout, you know, at the battle allegedly, remember the Alamo, <laughs> right, <laughs> as they're is, gutting uh... some poor Mexican sod, going, I wasn't even there, you know. So <laughs> it's, it's left quite a legacy, really. Yeah, I think it has left a legacy, certainly um, in Texas and I think in the United States um, more widely. Uh, obviously, I, I don't know to what extent you can say that this is being cast as a sort of, again, the, the good old American boys versus the evil Mexicans. We obviously shouldn't go there. Um, yep. But it certainly left a sort of underdog legacy. You know, we have th- similar things in Britain like Rourke's Drift, Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um. Uh, but 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 there's a few other weird things. Obviously, you've got the song. Uh. uh Remember the Alamo, and that actually becomes the motto of the the very short-lived independent Republic of Texas. For the, that they they last about ten years until the United States annex mm-hmm. annexes them in in 1846. But remember the Alamo was was the motto apparently of the Republic of Texas, and then it became the song. Um. Also, there's uh, apparently a very second-rate American car rental company. Now, I don't want to engage in any slander here by calling them second-rate, so perhaps I should withdraw that. But uh, I looked them up on Wikipedia, and half their page is dedicated to complaints and criticism. Now, I've never used I've never used Alamo car rental company, but when half your Wikipedia page is, is complaints and criticism. You know, alarm bells are ringing, Dave. <laughs> it's not a great advert, is it? It's not filling you with confidence. Not really, not really. So returning to our original uh, question, I think that the, the answer is clearly that uh, it was a battle of significance mm-hmm. and that um, Hollywood horse feathers applies absolutely to the movie. Oh, yeah but uh, not to the battle and the events that surrounded itself. Yeah, I think the battle certainly is significant, not not because it's a great victory, of course. I mean, if, if Santa Ana had achieved victory, we would never hear about the Alamo. The reason we hear about it is because they lost, but this seemingly galvanised opposition to the Mexicans, which, which later manifest in, in, you could argue, the, the real turning point for the Texian Revolution, which was the Battle of... San Jacinto a couple of months later. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we would love to get your feedback. If you want to say nice things or just point out all our errors, then please do get in touch. We are at HP History Pod on Twitter and Facebook or you can email hphistorypod at mail.com. Thanks for listening.